For anybody that doesn't know Gabe in person, she has a butt yeah. for days. I'm scared on airplanes. I'm like, are they going to make me buy another seat? <laughs> she can twerk without moving any other part of her body. I'm so talented. It's incredible. That's like my favorite thing about my body. You've got the best butt. Well, who was I telling this to? Abby? <laughs> I like strictly... The people that I'm the closest to have insane butts. I think I'm a butt girl because you have an insane butt. Abby has an insane butt. Crystal has an insane butt. Crystal has an insane butt. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, it's it's a thing I like about women, I think. <laughs> I'm like, let me check out that dumper. Yeah, we can be friends. <laughs> let me see that absolute dump truck. <laughs> Back it and up. I'm like, beep, beep. beep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we both did that at the same time. I love you so much. <laughs> How much coffee have you had today? Why? Because I've had a lot. <laughs> so before you come in, the screen changes a little bit. Like the thing gets bigger and I know you're coming and I got really excited. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I am OD'd on coffee right now. I'm like taking my anxiety pills off that I forgot to take. I'm like, you just took those out like Colette Reardon on SNL. <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season two, episode 17, Folly. I don't know if our Wisconsin accent says that weird, but Fo Folly. 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 Yeah. Like, I feel like, like I'm trying not to. How would my grandma say it? Folly. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> Season two, episode 17, Folly, for crying out loud. Uh, the opening scene, we're apparently at a wedding in a hotel. A guy is taking a bunch of pictures and like immediately reminded me of all my friends that are photographers that take pictures at weddings and how they like don't ever want to do weddings anymore. Everybody involved hates it. Yeah. The bride is being like kind of bridezilla about some stuff. Then all of a sudden you hear this like, Ugh! a bloody guy in just his skivvies stumbles into the room. He's like, help me oh. and passes out. And then like yeah. everybody in the wedding party is like, oh my God. And the bride's like, my day is ruined. Yeah. <laughs> Fast forward for a second, they're wheeling the dude out on a stretcher. Obviously, the guy's alive. Stabler, like, saunters in, super mannish. Did you notice that, like, right towards the camera? Anytime he has any air of sexiness, I notice, because I'm like, oh, Gabe is boner city for Gabe. <laughs> he, like, walks right up to Olivia, and her and Stabler start talking to a cop who got the call. So the Vic had no idea on him at the time. The cops of the Vic mumbled something about getting it on upstairs before he got knocked out. Mm -hmm. The cop was like, oh, my God, we had something like this, like, last week where a couple got it on, and then the chick whacks him, and Benson's like, we're going to need the 61 on that shit from last week, which is like, we're going to need the case or whatever yeah like the reports of it yeah so another cop gives benson stabler an evidence bag with the vic's info his name is thomas dowd he lives in queens his shit's all there cash credit cards and id they found it upstairs in his room so now we're in dowd's room that's the victim looks like he was hit in the head with an ashtray a few times stabler thinks maybe it was a sex worker who like rolled his ass yeah they do this black light fluid test and Stabler goes, man, it's everywhere. <laughs> Wouldn't it be hilarious if they turn the black light on and the cop that was with them in there had it like all over all his over face? His, yeah. both, of them, both of them were like, he's like, what? They're like, sir, you're under arrest. <laughs> just all over his fucking face. Like he was eating a fucking ear of corn with just butter everywhere. <laughs> 
Um, so it's everywhere. It's a hotel room. So, I mean, who knows what? Just like jizz all over. Like, yeah. don't ever stay in a hotel and expect it to not have. Yeah, it's fresh on the sheets, too. But did you notice there was like some on the wall? And like, yeah, they overdid it. They overdid it. Do you it. think so? Because I think that's exactly where people overdo it. Oh, and then Benson says, the earth moved. And Siebler says, then he saw stars. And I have no idea what that means. Like, yeah. the earth moved as in an orgasm. Is that a saying? It's a saying, but it's dumb and embarrassing that she said it. It's almost like they planned to do a combo one-liner before they got there. Yeah. They left and high five. They were like, it's inappropriate right now, but if we nail it... <laughs> So theme song, bum bum. Benson and Stabler are talking to a couple that were in a nearby room. They're still at the hotel. They're standing outside of the couple's room. Yeah, they think they heard a woman screaming when they got out of the elevator to go to their room around 8.30. But they called security right away and they came up. But the screaming had stopped and they didn't know where it came from. So security just assumed it was like someone's TV set. And like the couple never saw anybody coming or going. It tripped me up when she said TV set. Nobody says TV set anymore. Oh, yeah. These people were very eager to help. They they seemed kind of shook up because they're like, we're from Altoona. Does this happen very often in New York? And And how helpful they were. I was like, oh, they're clearly from out of town. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. Clearly. I'm like, I'm like, clearly from out of town. (laughs) Coffee drunk. Okay. So. uh, So fucked up on coffee. So. Oh, my God. Munch and Toots are at the front desk and they're talking to the front desk lady. This lady talked like Kristen Wiig's impression of Bjork. And she's like, I don't personally check guests and you're welcome to ask the octopus helmet who registered him. (laughs) She was so fucking... (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if she was from Iceland. Like, it was a very Icelandic type accent. The room was in Dowd's name. And it looks like he registered at like 8 p.m. She was there, but she didn't check Dowd in. So the detectives want all the people who are working that night and all the security footage and everybody who's staying at the hotel because they need to get any small detail that they can. And this lady seems irritated that she has to type anything at all. She sighed in Icelandic. <laughs> she was like, her. <laughs> <laughs> The adjacent rooms to Dowd were vacant, so they're all like, huh? And she's like, it's the off season. And then she blinks at them a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. We're back at the precinct, and we see Toots walk into the squad room to see a bunch of construction shit happening. Apparently, they're having asbestos testing because any building past a certain age, they're like, well, it has asbestos in it, so they have to fix it. Toots mm-hmm. isn't comfortable being in there with possible particles floating around, so Munch White explains to him that the things he's more likely to die from as a black man. Yeah. Which was annoying for that reason. And also, it's like, you're not more masculine because you're like willing to risk cancer, you dick. I know. I know. Craigan wants to know where everyone is at with the case. Toots is checking the guest list and waiting on DNA. Benson says Dowd was victim number two. Number one was a businessman from St. Louis. The St. Louis guy picked up a woman named Samantha last week at the Midtown Arms. They hooked up and she hit the dude in the head with a telephone receiver, like the phone at the hotel. So the cash was gone, but the rest of his shit was still left behind. Benson had called the dude, but he hung up on her right away because his wife was in the room. Adulterer! (laughs) (laughs) Philandering. And I was like, what was this guy expecting that the SVU is going to be like, oh, dead end there. He hung up. Yeah, I know. Which they did, apparently. So Yeah, Stabler thought maybe it wasn't a sex worker. But then they went on and said that the St. Louis guy said she wanted him to get rough with her and he tried to leave. So she knocked his ass out. Mm-hmm. Munch thinks this case is for Vice. Craig and was like, if you have proof that this isn't a fucking sex crime, I'll fucking hand it to Vice myself. Because, I mean, who wants yeah. to deal with this shit? I mean, I'm sure they have enough cases. Mm-hmm. Then Benson answers the phone and Dowd is awake in the hospital. So they got to go see him. Do you want me to go? 
Um, yeah, I have a chunk in a second, but yeah. <laughs> I bet you got a chunk in a second. <laughs> Don't laugh so hard in, into a cup. It's weird. <laughs> Sorry. So now we're. That's pro- a really specific critique, by the way. I know. When I after I said that, I was like, what? "That's not. That's not even that weird." <laughs> so now we're at Providence Hospital. What Benson's- if I insisted on only doing that? You said something funny, and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> You have like a laughing cup you bring with you everywhere. <laughs> I can't laugh. I got to fight my cup. <laughs> okay, go. Sorry. So Benson and Stabler are in Providence Hospital in Dowd's room and his mom's in there. And she's like, oh, my God, on the way home, he gets mugged and beaten in the streets. And we're like, oh, uh, yeah, sure. Mm. And Benson and Stabler kind of like side eye each other. Stabler's like, can we have a few minutes alone with fucking Tommy Dowd? Right, because he's not going to tell his cup of tea drinking mom mm-hmm. what he was busy doing this is america sex is shameful here okay <laughs> also this is where i recognize this dude so i stop what i'm doing and i imdb him he's got a long list of credits and i'm like but i specifically remember you from somewhere and i scrolled until i found it he was rachel's dumb hot assistant tag when she works at like ralph Lauren or whatever in the show friends oh Okay, so the mom's like, I'm going to go get some tea. And she leaves and they're like, "Uh, hey, why'd you tell your mom that? I'm like, why even ask him that? Of course. He's not going to tell his mom he's boning some chick in a hotel. So he said he picked up his date at the bar at the Decameron, which is the hotel that he was at, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. His homie Frank was supposed to meet him to watch the Knicks game. And he's like, Frank picks a bar. He likes fancy bars because he doesn't like all the smoking in sports bars. But Frank never showed up. He said this good looking girl named Jill came up to him and they started to hit it off. But she wasn't a sex worker or anything. I'm sorry. I'm going to take this like hard in the other direction. You have got me watching the fucking leftovers like i have a deadline it's good right i'm like i can't i can't i'm like oh her name was jill and all i imagine is the daughter in the show it's Mm. so fucking good you buried the fucking lead by not telling me that it's basically all cult shit so fucking good it's very like polarizing too people either fucking love it or they're like ugh, i couldn't get into that show yeah how could you not get into that show i'm hanging on every fucking episode i'm in the third season already Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Last night I was watching uh, the other two. Yeah. <laughs> this reminded me of you watching Leftovers because you know how they stay at his house. What is his name? And he has a motorcycle toilet or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is his name? John Thoreau or? Is it Justin Thoreau? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I think that I always go, is that him or is that the Canadian prime minister? What's his name? Justin Trudeau. No, that's Ted Danson or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go to Canada, where everybody knows your name. <laughs> but there, but the guy was like, man, I like Justin Thoreau, but like, I just couldn't get into that show. I don't think I liked it. And she's like, oh, you just have to keep watching. He's like, well, I just finished the third season. She's like, oh, you just don't like it. <laughs> I told somebody in a Facebook group because somebody was like, I need binge shows. And I'm like, I am hard into The Leftovers right now. Yeah. And somebody was like. I couldn't get into that. And I was like, oh, I just heard someone else say it. I heard someone else say it because they said it in the other two. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, it's just, it's so fucking good. I've been watching it like I'm watching a 40 hour movie. It's good. It's so good. Yeah. I I need to watch it again because it's been a while. You know what was another good show that was on Hulu that fucking Liv Tyler was in or whatever her name is? What? Harlots on Hulu. Did you ever see that? that? Oh God, that Mm -hmm. was so fucking good. Was it? Oh, yeah. Just trust me. Um, I do trust you now. 
You should have all <laughs> like I did before. What about what about what we do in the shadows? You didn't want to watch that. Oh and then my fight, god, yeah. you were right about that too. All right, that's it. Anything you tell me to watch, I'm watching it. All right, good. Ever, I'll drop. Everything. Um, have you ever seen I'll... your butt? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I gotta get through this. Hold on. I know. Where are we? So this good-looking girl named Jill came up to him, and oh, they started right, yeah. they started to hit it off. And Stabler's like, "Well, how much did she want?" And he's like, "No, she it wasn't like that. It was she wasn't a sex worker. She had suggested that they go up to the hotel room. So he said he went up and registered a room. And then she was like, "Oh, I'm a little shy." So she wanted the key and told him to wait for five minutes before he came up. Then when he got up there, she was in bed waiting for him, and they just like went at it super hard. Yeah. And the next thing he remembers is some dude in a tux standing over him in the lobby of the hotel. So he said mm-hmm. Jill is blonde, buff. Maybe in her 30s, he said she told him she wanted him to fight for it and that she liked it rough. To fight her for it. To fight her for it and make it hurt. And he was like, well, it's not really my scene, but like he went along with it. So Benson and Stabler are going to both bars. She picked St. Louis dude up and Dowd to see if the bartenders remember her. They will. Of course. They're SVU bartenders. They're going to. Yeah. Yeah. So back at the Decameron bar, the bartender remembered Dowd for sure. The bartender had said that she was literally in the bar for five minutes and Stabler goes, that's not a lot. Get to know you time. Yeah. Right away, there was a room key handoff around 830. Mm -hmm. The bartender didn't recognize her from any of the regulars that come in, but he has seen Dowd before with many different women who are old enough to be his mom. And I was like, and? Because he was like, oh, you're such a good looking guy. Yeah. Like some of these women look like they could be his mom. Yeah. Well, maybe they know how to fuck. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. So then we're in the squad room. Toots is ahead of his fucking time wearing a mask. Yeah. To not take any chances because duh. Like, hello. That's right. You're not less of a man because you fucking protect your whatever. Fuck off. Right. Everybody. I was like, Munch, why does stupidity equal masculinity? Yeah. You're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Munch is like, oh, nice mask. <laughs> <laughs> what? You don't want to die of asbestos? <laughs> idiot. It's like. <laughs> so Craig wants everybody upstairs with their case files. They're going to get down and dirty with some detecting. So Benson's like, Dowd lied to us. He already had the hotel room when he met Jill. <sighs> fucking Craigan's like, well, he's fucking older women. So he's either got an Oedipus complex or he's a sex worker. Check his name through the system. And I'm like, oh my God, why can't he just like older women? Men do it all the time with younger women. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is this? It's because we need to be thrown away after we're 23. Whatever. That should, that should be a thing that nobody even thinks of. Who fucks older ladies? Nobody, because it's gross. <laughs> Right. Okay. Okay. So Benson and Stabler go to the hospital talking to Dowd again. And they're like, dude, you've been arrested for sex work. Just tell us what really happened with Jill. So he works for an escort service. A client offered him a thousand bucks to sleep with her. So he had to drop out of school when his dad died. So he does sex work to help out his mom. But mostly he just does escorting stuff like taking women to to like fancy shit. He had to drop out because his dad was a gambler. And then he died last year and left the family with a ton of debt. And they didn't even know how bad his gambling was he's explaining himself too hard he doesn't need to explain why he's doing sex work but whatever right yeah so who cares why anybody does escorting or sex work or both like mind your fucking business right like he's the victim yeah i really don't like how they're treating him now that they know he's an escort yeah but i did notice that they are treating the escorts way better than they treat like women oh sex workers 100 percent like especially later when Stabler's like, well, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, you fucking fuck. So now they're at Man About Town Escort Service, which I love the name. 
<laughs> it seems like a pretty high class escort service. The escorts have to wear a top hat and mm-hmm. coattails when they go out with mm-hmm. ladies. <laughs> Don't forget your cane. It's yeah. just for swinging. It's just for swinging. <laughs> They're talking to this woman who I'm assuming is the owner. Her name was Leslie DeSanto. She's like a fancy madam. Yeah. The building that they're in, like the office that they're in is like, it's it's very high end and it seems like a fancy law firm. Yeah. You know, like the... Like she's in like a business, like, a, like a, a, a smart fitted suit, skirt suit. I just, if, if I pop my collar on my t-shirt enough, it's going <laughs> to let you know. <laughs> she is saying that like Dowd is one of her most requested escorts. He's like smart, funny, and good looking. So he's like not just arm candy. Women have a good time talking to him and stuff too. So there's right. no complaints about him. She's like, he wouldn't be working here if there were complaints. Yeah. She says it's a win-win with the college students doing this because her clients are super wealthy and want companionship to the opera or parties or like social events or whatever. And these young dudes get exposure to culture and class. And if she finds out that there's sex involved, she fires the escort and drives a client and she seems pretty serious about that because of her reputation in the business so in the computer she said dowd was hired to go to the hotel to cameron as a wedding escort at 8 p.m for this woman jill and then i was like oh my god so the lady was attending the wedding this could possibly narrow it down mm-hmm. the client's name is jill Lassard, and she's a first-time client but they didn't even end up getting to the wedding they just went like met at the bar straight to the hotel room yeah Yeah. We're back at the squad room and Munch gets off the phone with the hotel. There was no one with the name Lassard on the wedding invitation list and there isn't any camera footage. So Mm -hmm. a woman named Jill Lassard was a thousand miles away when this happened too in Kiwani, Illinois. And Munch is like, hog capital of the world. I can't fault him for interjecting because I fucking love a fun fact. Yeah. Yeah. uh I just, uh, I don't have time for it because it's just him flexing on different things that he knows and I hate it. Oh, that's why I'm like, shut up, fucking munch. How are we friends? Because I am so a munch in that regard where I'm like, I know about Kiwani, Illinois. You want to hear about it, too? (laughs) Yeah, but that's not like his is to feel superior and mine is to just like be liked. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's sad. That was sad. (laughs) All right. So someone had stolen her credit card number and used it to book an escort through Man About Town. So now the perp has identity theft and two assaults. Craigan mm-hmm. walks in and says, make that three. Great. Someone else was hit. Yep. Where? At the Beaumont Hotel. So Benson and Stabler go to the Beaumont and they're in the room. It's another pretty boy and a woman just kicked his ass. But the dude is still alive and the EMTs took him out already. But forensic says that it's likely he'll die. Oof, it's yeah. progressing. Back in Cragen's office, we find out that the Vic's name is Victor Co. He's been arrested three times for sex work. Munch chimes in and says that they showed a sketch of Jill to the bartender at the Beaumont and he ID'd her as Co's companion. The bartender also said how the dude passed her the key and she told him to wait five minutes before coming in. It's Jill's MO. Mm-hmm. Co is now considered critical condition, so life or death, he can go either way. Mm-hmm. Craigan wants them to check in with the national databases to see if Jill was doing this in other cities. I don't know and why that's not like an automatic thing, right? So it's either we hear that there isn't a national database and nobody's talking about it with each other. And that's why serial killers can travel and kill so many people. But mm-hmm. when it's like, we don't have time for this. Oh, check the national database. Take the flying car to the national database. We're in a hurry. <laughs> like, so I don't know if that truly exists or not. But the flying car or the national database? The national database database i am aware of how cars work right now (laughs) co has a brother in town and craigan wants them to talk to him and persuade him to let them look around he owns the apartment that co is currently living in 
and he's mm -hmm. a high-powered art dealer so yeah now munch and toots are at victor ko's apartment and they're there with victor's brother the owner of the apartment mm -hmm. he hasn't seen victor ko in months the brother is mostly the one who's paying for the apartment because ko is a starving actor his brother starts to look around and realizes that all of the furniture is very fancy and he doesn't know where he got the money because he didn't buy any of it he's like he had all hand-me-downs yeah i would be a little annoyed if i was him pay some of your rent if you've got money yeah but then like your brother's like in serious condition so like i get that you were fine with it yeah they let him know that ko has been arrested for sex work and they think that it was a client that hurt him and they need his help so he's willing to help and lets them look around no questions asked yeah so benson and stabler are doing a walk and talk with the man about town owner lady leslie mm -hmm. she had fired victor co like three months ago she said that she treated victor very well and that he thanked her by stealing from her stealing clients oh and she's like i screened my clients apparently he didn't and i'm like listen lady one of your employees is in the hospital right now so let's get off our high fucking horse right yeah also they're on the new york city streets and she's so so cliche bundle it she keeps like oh i've got to close my coat get some buttons you rich bitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God. And they're insinuating to her that like, oh, you hurt him like because you want him to be out of business. She's like, yeah, I would be happy if he was out of business, but I wouldn't hurt him. This is a competitive business, but not cutthroat. And I fucking doubt it. Yeah. Dude, it's fucking escorting. And when you're dealing Please. with a lot of money, mm -hmm. clientele that like there's only I mean, it's the 1% for a reason. There's only 1% of them. Yeah. Accounting can be cutthroat. OK, yeah, let's chill. So we're in Cragen's office and Victor's Palm Pilot had tons and tons of New York City's finest ladies on it. So Palm Pilots were the first handheld computer type thing. And it's basically the notes app and the calendar app on a brick that you carry around in your pocket. Right. You couldn't make phone calls on anything. It was just like a. No, it was just like a like a little pocket notebook. Yeah, that was digital. And the thing, it had a stylus that came with it, which was like a big deal at the time. Yeah. You could write on it and then it would turn to text. And that was like a huge yeah. deal at the time. I didn't get it, but I didn't have anything going on when Palm Pilots were a thing. I didn't so I'm like, who would need that? Yeah. On this list of New York City's finest ladies was Claudia Baines Marshall. She's the wife of Merchant Commerce Bank chairman Darian Marshall. She stands out because Darian's name was in this guy's pocket, and that doesn't make sense. Why would the husband's number be in there? Mm -hmm. But then they were like, maybe Co was blackmailing Mrs. Marshall. Someone had wired Co $75,000 six months ago, and one day later, Co cuts Dowd a check for $5,000. And I'm like, ooh, is Dowd in on a scam or some shit? Craigan wants Munch and Toots to talk to Mr. Marshall, and Benson and Stabler are going to talk to Mrs. Marshall. We're at the apartment of Darian and Claudia Marshall. She looks like Betty White in the 80s. Yes, I know this lady and I can't remember her fucking name. I have no idea. She's awesome. She's in a, been in a ton of shit. So she definitely knows Ko. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, he's hurt. And she's like, well, is he okay? You know, and they're like, well, maybe. They want to know the extent of her and Ko's relationship. And she's like, if this gets out, and they're like, this doesn't have to leave the room. So she goes off on this thing. She's like, I spent the last 30 years reassuring my husband that he can become the man that he is today. I gave him children. I reared them. And all I asked for was loyalty. And it was the one thing he couldn't give me. Hmm. And when she found out her husband was cheating on her with young women, she decided she was entitled to her own diversions. Yeah, she goes, when I found out my husband was reassuring himself with 20-somethings who stroke him like a rabbit's foot. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> Ew. I pictured a rabbit's foot on a keychain hanging out of the zipper of his pants. I did too. Okay. <laughs> I did too. I just was like, like it was his dick. Yes. <laughs> we talk about dicks too hard. <laughs> no, we don't. I, he talks about dicks too hard. <laughs> She's like, yeah, my fucking husband knows about Co. Our fucking marriage has fallen apart a while ago. It's mm-hmm. a marriage of convenience now. She met Co through the escort service. After they sent several men who were not up to par. Yeah, she saw Ko usually. She had met Dowd, but he wasn't super adventurous. She doesn't know why his number ended up in her husband's computer. And I was like, I might. Yeah. This was like my guess at the time because I'm like, there's going to be a twist. Is this dude sleeping with Tommy and they're going to like make a thing about Ooh, it? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So Munch and Toots are at Darian Marshall's office. This guy looks like Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. I don't know who that is. Mr. Wonderful. For that reason, I'm out. Mr. Wonderful? He's like this fucking balding white dude. He looks like this guy and he's always a total cock and nobody ever wants to make a deal with him. Shark Tank's the thing where people come up with their ideas and they get funded or not funded. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know I've seen that before. Okay. Give me your pitch. I want 20% and all the residuals. I don't know. So. Big, big, big Sean. <laughs> Boy, how big is yo? Give me all your money and give me all your residuals. Slip it on the ass, 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 ass. Oh my God. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Darian Marshall doesn't know how Ko's number got in his computer. Mm-hmm. He's like, I've never met him. Fucking Toots is like, oh, doesn't it piss you off? And he was like, stock market crash pisses me off. Recessions piss me off. My wife's dalliances don't upset me, which I'm going to use that word dalliances. He's not worried that his wife's tryst will ruin his running for ambassadorship. He knows that she wants it just as much as he does. And he's like, I've always counted on my wife to be discreet. The detectives let him know that they know about the $75,000. So he's like, okay. And he was like, Co made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Mr. Marshall had to pay him $75,000 as blackmail money. But there was a like a notarized agreement as in an NDA. Yeah, that if it got out, Cole would have to pay the money back. And then Munch was like, well, if it gets out, the damage is already done for your career. So maybe you wanted a more like, quote, permanent agreement as in kill Co. And dude's like, dude, if I want a Co dead, he'd be in his grave by now. It's like, I'm very powerful. Yeah. Munch and Dudes are having a hot dog stand, walk and talk. Stabler's crouched behind it, shoving relish into a Ziploc bag. <laughs> but Munch and Toots have to pick up Dowd. I thought you would laugh harder at that. <laughs> I was laughing. <laughs> um... <laughs> Relish bag. Oh, that's Stabler's nickname, Relish bag. RB. RB Stabes. Okay. So Munch and Toots have to go pick up Dowd. Apparently he paid off a $43,000 debt six months ago. Okay. Yeah. Benson and Stabler are now in the interrogation room with Dowd. He seems super confused because he's like, I never slept with Mrs. Marshall. And the $5,000 that Co gave him was what Co already owed Dowd for bailing him out a few times mm-hmm. because Co would be like, oh, I can't take this client or whatever. So Dowd would do it for him. So he owed him a bunch of money. Yeah. He says that his boss, Leslie DeSantis, gave him the rest for performing personal services for her. He was desperate mm-hmm. for money to help his mom and asked Leslie. And she said yes, but he didn't know that that meant he was going to have to sleep with her. He ended up just doing it for a while and then eventually stopped and threatened to quit. And she said that she was going to call in his loan. So he had to stay. Because mm-hmm. he was, he couldn't afford to pay her back. Yeah. He's like, this happened the night before. She sent me to sleep with Miss Fantasy, a.k.a. the lady who beat his ass. And I'm like, ooh. Yeah. So their fight was like the day before. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, is this Madam 
punishing dudes via randos. Yeah, dude. So we're in the precinct hallway. Stabler tells Craig and that Co stole from Leslie and Dowd was threatened to leave her and they both ended up in the hospital. But they were hit in the head and their faces weren't touched. And Stabes is like, don't damage that merchandise, baby. <laughs> baby. <laughs> but uh, this does not explain the St. Louis dude because he wasn't a sex worker. Munch pops in and he's like, Vice just snagged a sex worker matching the sketch. She had hit her John with a baseball bat. They're going to get her in for a lineup. Mm-hmm. So now we're in the lineup with this lady's lawyer and Cabot and the bartender from the Decameron picks out the woman. He recognizes her as a regular. Cabot asks him if he ever saw her with Victor Coe, but the lawyer standing there won't allow that to be answered. And I'm like, why not? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. And then Dowd pops in and he, he doesn't recognize any of the women as his attacker. Mm-hmm. And the lawyer's like, are we through here? And Cabot goes, yes, but Vice has her for assault one. And I'm like, good, wrap it up. Wrap it up. Yep. Stabler's just hanging out in there. They're like, oh, we don't know what to do. And he's like, well, the lab just called and said they have something to show us. And I'm like, you didn't even answer a phone. (laughs) Lab. (laughs) Okay, so now we're in the lab. There's like weird fingerprint stuff that was kind of confusing. Weird fingerprint and semen stuff. There's two types of semen. Semen fingerprints. (laughs) Pew, pew. It's like freaking Spider-Man. Uh Gross. Gross. No, that's wrist semen. <laughs> He's like, the perp is a lefty and there's no way for her to be able to cause the damage she caused in the position she was in if she was a lefty. So right. someone else was in both rooms. They're going over the weapons that were used, which was an ashtray and the hotel phone. Yeah. It's hard without a visual, but basically the fingerprint patterns on the weapons and the part of them used doesn't match up with her position. So yeah. that tells them that someone else was with her so this lady has a partner jumping out and attacking these men then having sex with her so then i was thinking are these like rape fantasy people so we're back in the squad room the guy waits in the closet and jerks off while watching a dude get it on with the woman co and dowd's hotel rooms both had two types of semen in the bed and closet so they start talking about like different fetish stuff and the detectives go shame shamefully talking yeah like oh you know it's super weird so they start talking about this case that they had worked the year before where a dude had a baby fetish and wore diapers under his clothes and had a room in his house set up like a nursery with a custom bed built for four custom crib yeah. And Toots can't fucking take it. And I'm like, you work the SVU in New York City, Toots. Get used to it. It's not yeah. weird. And yeah. also, I want to know what the case was for. Did it have anything to do with this guy's private sex life that hopefully involved consenting adults? Right. Right? Yeah. I know. He's anyway. like, that's twisted. And you're like, how do you guys have these jobs? Yeah. Like, I feel like eventually we're going to get shit from somebody for dogging on something from 20 years ago. We're aware that this is current for the time yeah. and the way people like felt and thought and talked and whatever. Yeah. It's weird to watch now. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, you know, go back and watch Mighty Ducks. Right. Okay. Yeah. I watched Mighty Ducks with my nephews and had to explain some very racist shit that was said as like a, oh, that's a funny little joke. And John and I both looked at each other like, what the fuck? Yeah. Or Bad News Bears. Or- yeah. So it was a different time. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm going to call it out. Yeah. It wasn't even cool then either. No. So they canvassed the bellman and the front desk lady, and no one remembers a woman matching that sketch. Cohen Dowd got pretty bloody, and the bathrooms weren't used, so they're thinking that the perps probably had their own room, and they could clean up and lay low. 
which is smart. Yeah. That's smart crime in right there. Yeah. Kragen's like, I'm going to call Skoda and try to figure out this couple's pathology. And I'm like, yay, we haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. So now we're in the squad room, freaking Skoda and his like pretty sick mustache he has right now. I think it's so weird that you think that he's got this great mustache because it makes him look like fucking Flanders and I can't take him seriously. <sighs> it does. <laughs> so him and Benson and Sabler are all like naturally eating lunch. Yeah, this is just break room talk. Yeah. So he thinks this couple has like a folly adieu, a.k.a. shared madness. Basically, there's one person and they have a sexual fantasy and they bring the other person into it. And the other person likes them so much that they make it their own sexual fantasy as well. And it, mm-hmm. in this instance, it's progress into violence. Right. Skoda says they've become addicts and they need a stronger fix more often. Yeah. So that's why it's like escalating with every victim yeah most quote-unquote fantasies or kinks people have are just like it does this is like a rare thing you know what i mean for it to become criminal yeah yeah craigan comes in and lets them know that the maid at the broadway hotel found another body in a room the same mo but this one's dead you'd think that these people like if the cops were onto them that they would slow down i mean it's only been like two days there's only like three people yeah but they just gotta fuck they gotta get their fix man Sorry for that. Uh. <laughs> Brenson Stabler at the Broadway Hotel, and they walk into the room to see the victim on the bed. It's 21-year-old Gregory Moore. The murder weapon was a crystal vase, and it, they hit him so hard that there's brain matter on it, mm. which is terrible. Yeah. Benson's like, somebody had to have heard that. And they're like, well, they hit him so hard that he would have been dead like right away. So there's like no confusing that it's escalating. Yeah. Like that it has to be like more awful. They're like getting better at finishing the job. Ugh. And then they fuck. Yeah. Like, do they stay there and fuck or do they go to their room and fuck? Do they fuck on top of the body? Yeah. Huh? With like a person dying or or dead. Yeah. Back of the precinct, Munch tells Craigan that the lab confirms that the DNA and fingerprints found at this scene match from the other rooms. So Moore wasn't a sex worker. He was a student at City University where Dowd also went. And Craigan's like, I know a lot of people go to City University, which is a very clever name for... Whatever. Um, <laughs> Jeremy's on that one. Craigan wants them to pick up Dowd because they're like, this is too much of a coincidence. Yeah. You know? Now we've got a Benson and Stabler walk and talk. Stabler is kind of feeling bad for Dowd at this point. He was doing sex work to save his mom's house. So why is there never any compassion for female sex workers in like their mom's houses? Yeah. You know what I, I, know. I mean? Benson and Stabler are going back and forth about it. And Benson goes, come on, Elliot, if selling your body is okay, what about peddling coke? And I'm like, what? Listen to how what she said, selling your body. It's your body. Right. Thankfully, Stabler's like, those things aren't the same, which they're not. But also, like, my second little issue with that there is like they wouldn't be selling coke on the street in the way that you're mad about if you would just legalize fucking drugs or if we... Yeah. So all of the stuff that you're mad about is all dumb stuff. But mm-hmm. also, I'm like, why does there have to be a sob story for sex work to be okay? Yeah, I know. And I hate it. So this isn't just SVU. It's a bizarre rule that we've made up as people that like sex work is shameful and needs to be criminal and all this other fucking bullshit. Yeah. And women are worse than men. Yeah. Please don't take that sound bite and be like, I listen to this podcast. This one's a piece of shit. <laughs> women are worse than men. <laughs> Stabler's like, I just don't think that we should be necessarily worrying about who's having sex with who for how much. And I 100 fucking percent agree. Oh, yeah. And then Benson's like, well, it doesn't really matter because if it's illegal, it's their business. And I'm like, true, but what a waste of resources. Right. Like, this is victimless crime. Mm-hmm. Like, you're stupid. 
It doesn't have to be anyone's business. It's not anyone's business except for the people doing business. Yeah. It's not a victimless crime if you were fucking kidnapped and forced into sex slavery. Right. Because it's not a choice you're making for your body. Yeah. Okay. Oh, but the thing that annoyed me the most is when Benson was like, I mean, she didn't know that this was going to happen in 20 years or like how hard people were going to be like shouting it from the rooftops but she's like um he could get a different job and stabler's like i, I can know. tell the future and what you think he's gonna go get a fucking minimum wage job flipping burgers and he's gonna be able to help his fucking mom no he's gonna use that handsome fucking face and probably handsome dick and fucking go make some money escorting yeah you know which is also a thing like they said that on prime time about like his handsome dick his handsome di- no like about like how <laughs> You can't support your family flipping burgers at not even flipping. Fuck flipping burgers are fine. Like uh, at minimum wage. Yeah. Like whatever job it is. Exactly. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Whatever job it is. You can't fucking yeah. survive on a minimum wage. Yeah. Minimum wage jobs like, oh, flipping burgers. But it's just a thing for you to say you don't respect people. <laughs> yeah. It's not it's not a survivable wage. You're like, oh, those jobs were created for students to get. It's like, no. Otherwise, it would be restaurants and shit would only be open like after school hours. Right. Not during school. Right. FDR just ugh, he. OK, <laughs> don't go off about fucking FDR. Right? <laughs> FDR. Oh. <buh>. Yeah. <laughs> OK, we're in the interrogation room. Benson and Stabler have doubt in there. Leslie called him and needed him right away for a last minute booking, but he couldn't go because he had to meet with some lawyers about the back taxes on the family store. So Mm -hmm. he called Greg and he starts tearing up as he's telling the story. And he asked him if he wanted to make some easy money. Mm -hmm. He thought he was sending his buddy to escort a woman to a Broadway premiere. And he's like, I don't know how they ended up at the hotel. Leslie didn't know that he was finding a substitute. So his buddy Greg had been bugging Dowd to get him into the escort business. And so he was like, hey man, here's an opportunity. You want to take this for me since I can't go? Mm-hmm. Leslie, she has to be setting him up to be getting killed because she thought he was going to be there, but no, it was Greg. Right. And that's what Benson and Stabler are saying to him. And he's like, I still owe her $28,000. So it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, because she's all business. So it wouldn't make any sense for her to kill him. And Benson thinks that it makes sense if Leslie thought that Dowd could hurt her in some way. Mm-hmm. And he lets them know, okay, Leslie doesn't actually run a super professional escort service. She's more of a pimp. Mm-hmm. So if the client pays an extra $200 an hour, the client can have whatever they want as long as the escort is willing. Co was in on it until he decided he didn't want to give up the extra money that the sex brought in. Yeah, because they were only getting like 40%, which right. I just think that sucks. <laughs> I mean, I get the cut because you have access to these high-end clients because yeah. of the service. I don't know. I mean, I understand that. I do think it's kind of a gouge, but if it was legalized, there wouldn't be such a gouge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what (laughs) did you like retrace that to be a vagina yeah i did (laughs) yeah okay yeah um (laughs) i did i i I sure did (laughs) yeah the night that co was attacked leslie said that she couldn't find anyone else and hired him back for the night so yeah he wasn't working for her but she gave him a call Mm -hmm. leslie's trying to get rid of him by sending him to dangerous clients if a fucking person stole money from me and my business mm-hmm. and I was in a pinch 
to make a few extra bucks that day, I wouldn't be calling an ex-employee that stole from me. Especially in a cutthroat fucking business, like escorting and stuff. You know what I mean? Or like any sort of, when it comes to money and you own a business, you don't fucking hire somebody back on that like stole from you. You just don't. Right. So, so she was just trying to find ways to kill him. There has to, it has to be that. Yeah. And that's what the detectives thinks too. Yeah. So we're at the precinct. Precinct. Oh, I'm getting so much better at saying that. Yeah, you're really doing great. Thank you. <laughs> Munch and Toots tell Cabot and Cragen that Leslie had called Co the night of Co's attack. All three hotels had no matching names of the people staying there. He thinks that Leslie knows them and is helping them fulfill their fantasies mm-hmm. and like giving them to fucking people she doesn't like right now. Right. Cabot suggests Dowd wear a wire and he might be into it because he was like super broke up about feeling him like he was being responsible for the Moore's death. Yeah. So he might be into like doing it to do the right thing. Right. And I'm like, fuck yeah, undercover. Yeah. So Cabot's talking to Dowd. He's like, I don't want to fucking wear a wire. Cabot convinces him that Leslie, that this Leslie chick is trying to kill him and she's going to kill again. Right. And Cabot really has to spell it out for him. Yeah. He just keeps going back and forth like, you can't prove it. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So finally he agrees. This is where I was like, let's just call him Tommy because he seems like a really good kid and he deserves it. I know. He deserves us to give him his first name. Yeah. Even though we were calling that dumb bitch Leslie the whole time. <laughs> Anyway, we're at Empire Apartments sitting outside with Benson and Stabler in their car. They're listening in on the conversation to Leslie and Tommy Dowd, who are up in her apartment. They're making pasta. Mm-hmm. So this whole scene, we're just watching Benson and Stabler listening, listening. to yeah. them in real time. Leslie admits about Co and setting up Dowd and stuff. And she's like, I'm sorry about your friend. As far as Victor, he got what he deserved. And Benson's like, we got her. Yeah. And Stabler (laughs) pulled out his Ziploc bag full of relish and a plastic spoon. (laughs) Like he's eating popcorn. (laughs) Like, I don't feel like her saying Victor got what he deserved is a admission of guilt. Yeah, that's just her like being shitty. I think you have to be like, yes, I set Ko up to get murdered. I wanted him to be murdered. She said that she didn't mean for Dowd to get hurt and that he's her investment. And then she's like, come here. Come yeah. here. And then she's like, what? what's this? And he's like, it's my Walkman. And she finds she finds the wire and she's like, what? Benson and Stabler head up to the fucking apartment. Tommy's screaming. Mm-hmm. This fucking bitch poured a pot of boiling linguine water onto Dowd's head. Yeah. Fucking psychotic. Yep. So as Stabler's arresting Leslie, she's like freaking out and she spits on Dowd. He, I feel so bad for him. I know. She's like, screw you. Yeah. So now we're at the burn ward and he's got second degree burns on his head, face, neck, arms, and hands. Dowd's mom comes out of his room and Cabot says how sorry they are about all of it. And right before mom shows up, my mom energy is screaming, Tommy needs his mom. (laughs) (laughs) I was sitting there with like a pain in my chest as if this were happening. Yeah. Cragen tells Dowd's mom that her son was helping them with an investigation and she's fucking pissed that they let this happen. Mm -hmm. Cabot admits that she's the one who approved the wire. So the mom goes back through the door to be by her son, but keeps making angry eye contact through the glass. Like mm-hmm. Cabot opens the door for her and I paused it for some reason. And they're both just like faces <laughs> pressed up against the glass at each other. I would lose my fucking shit if I were her. Yeah. I would fucking go nuts. She came out yep. and she's like, I'm mad at everybody and just like finger wagon. Mm-hmm. I have shredded people for less involving yeah. my kids. 
Craigan wants Benson and Stabler to write up their fives and have them ready before shit goes haywire. Yeah. So now we're at Rikers Island. Cabot, Leslie, and her lawyer are listening to the tape. Leslie's like defending herself, blah, blah, blah. Cabot calls her like a fucking high priced pimp who uses violence to keep her people in order. Leslie's lawyer is like, I want a deal. I haven't heard you say deal yet. And she's like, man one. And she gives up the name of the couple. And Leslie's like, I don't fucking know who these people are. All three of them gave a different credit card and the voices were different. Sometimes it was a man. Sometimes it was a woman. She's like, I didn't even know it was the same couple. And I'm like, how are we supposed to believe that? Yeah. She knew what their fantasy thing was, was going to be, but she didn't. I don't think she knew what the, who the couple was. Because right. these people are fucking smart so we go to the squad room leslie isn't lying all reservations were made with stolen credit cards each card was used within the last month from different mail order companies season two you sneaky little fucker yeah these companies operate out of the same warehouse and there's accountants handling the billing it's out of scott distributing in duchess county whoever's billing the credit card companies is stealing the numbers yeah the accountants handle the billing it's a powerhouse firm on third avenue yeah so now we're at barnett sloan howard which is an accounting firm a little baby hedgehog of a man in glasses and a bow tie directs them to gary sutton the senior who runs the scott account he was such a little hedgehog oh my god when i saw him i was like oh my god look at this tiny little cartoon mole in a bow tie like he looked like remember the what is it the adventures of mr frog or whatever that really old cartoon and there yeah and there was the the mole and the other other some like animal yeah and he had the little bow tie and he was this round little guy and his like head went into the rest of his body it was like a yeah he was, was shaped like one of those russian <laughs> nesting dolls yes you know, shaped yeah. like that. but his body was shaped like that and he had a bow tie oh this was him okay <laughs> and then you were like little baby hedgehog and i'm like oh we're the same <laughs> Um, So he directs them to Gary Sutton, the senior who runs the Scott account. But he left early. It's him and his wife's anniversary. So Benson and Stabler are freaking in the Benson and Stabler are there, by the way. Um, (laughs) They're in his office and they see a picture of his wife, Darlene, and it looks familiar. I'm like fucking gasp and fucking duh. Yeah. It's the fucking couple from the hotel that they interviewed in the very beginning. The ones from Altoona that were like, oh, my God, we heard stuff but didn't see anything. Sonic the Hedgehog gives them Sutton's address. (laughs) (laughs) He was so cute. Oh, Oh my God. And Sonic the Hedgehog likes to collect coins and he's an accountant. Okay, so now we're at Sutton's house, and it's very fancy, and I'm also like, can they just be in there? There was no warrant stuff. Nobody was there to take a warrant. I don't know. But immediately, Benson's like, oh my god, they didn't even try to hide these credit cards. I found them in three seconds. They're right on the bed stand. (laughs) I was like, no, that's not how that works. But okay, there's all these freaking credit cards and other people's names. This dude takes clients' names and makes credit cards for them. Then Benson and Sabre just leave with, they just like take stuff from the house. Yeah. I just thought this was, that was weird. I'm like, okay, maybe yeah, they're running know, out of time. They, ha- they-, they didn't say anything about getting a warrant, but on the street, Stabler's on the phone, and one of the credit cards was used to book an escort at 7 p.m. <gasps> at the Madison Terrace Hotel. And Benson's like, that's 15 minutes from now. And then I'm like, <laughs> go! <laughs> So we're at the hotel bar. Munch and Chooch show the bartender Darlene's pick. She's in the fucking bar with the dude right now, but she just walked out. Yeah. Benson and Stabler like run in and they all look like fucking cops. You're not, you need to like be a little more like, I don't know, you're, you have sex workers and stuff that you arrest all the time. Like don't fucking let cops so hard. Don't be copping so hard. They can't help it. They're like, if Munch is going to fucking look like this everywhere we go. 
There's no reason for us to try. Yeah. So Benson and Stabler are fucking Russian, looking like cops. They're fucking bad at this. They walk up to this. This dude was hot, by the way. He looked like Joey from Blossom. No, he was hotter. He was hotter, but that was the closest thing I could come up with. If one of us does... Whoa. Whoa. Oh, no, that's what I was going to say. If one of us <laughs> does it, I'm going to scream. <laughs> I knew that's where you were going. <laughs> so, yeah, they walk up to this dude and they're like, oh, my God, where is she? And this guy's like, I don't know who you're talking about. And they're like, look, we know you're a fucking escort. We don't give a shit. If this lady told you to come up to the hotel in five minutes. This is your fucking lucky day. Mm-hmm. Give us your room key. So they get the key and all four of them are going with guns drawn. And she's like, who's there? Who, what are you going to do to me? Yeah, it's like completely dark. So Darlene doesn't know that it's not the dude. That She doesn't. She can't hear or see that it's four people. <laughs> And not one. (laughs) And then she sees all of them and she's like, help me, Gary. She's still in her thing. Yeah. And like they open the closet door and her husband's like, whoa. So (laughs) also when Kragen was like the husband warmed up in the closet, like when you you warm up, you don't jizz everywhere, right? Um, no, but maybe he's like a huge (laughs) pre-comer. God, gross. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if they workshopped this in the fucking writer's room, but like maybe that's what it was. Or maybe this guy, maybe this guy jerked off like initially and he comes and then he fucking kills the dude. And then he's like, whoa, I have no fucking refractory period. And then they bone for, for like, like a super three, long time. Yeah. God, I'd be maybe. so tired. Ugh. <laughs> I'm, I'm just so tired. I'm tired even thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. I know. Hold on. So they open the claws and the husband's like, oh my God, I'm a dick. And she's like, <laughs> she's yelling help me save me you bastard while they're both getting arrested yeah and the way she puts the robe on i fucking is that where she went yes (laughs) yeah i almost i almost texted you this morning like tell me what the the thing that i think is the most funniest you would have known yes because she goes i thought it was way too vague (laughs) like when she put it on her other shoulder yeah Okay, so Munch and Toots have Gary in the interrogation room. Gary's telling the whole story about how all this happened and how he came home one day to Darlene in the bedroom with another guy and they were struggling and he like pulled the guy off and roughed him up and it was like some delivery guy that she had invited in and he felt like a hero for like saving her and it turned him on. Because he thought she was getting raped but she knew that Gary was coming home. Yeah. And they like just let the guy go. Yeah. But the escorts were her idea. The guy from St. Louis that was like the first one that she picked up. He didn't really want to play along and she figured that if they got escorts she could get what she wanted if she paid for it. Yeah. He says that Darlene has a problem and he couldn't stop playing the game because he loves her and she needed him. And he's like, I didn't mean to kill anybody. I just got drawn into it. He fucking rolls on Darlene so hard. Yeah. It's, it pissed me off because it's like, oh, I'm kind of a victim here, too. Oh, geez. Yeah. And I'm sure it's like the year 2000 or something. So they're like expecting it to be the other way around where the woman is the one that is like doing the folly. Like she was the one convinced to do it or whatever. Falia do Falia do Okay. Okay. You so, I just licked my microphone. <laughs> so now we're on the other side of the glass, aka Kragen's bungalow. <laughs> Cabot and Kragen are chatting about how wild this is. And then Kragen's like, she'll fucking get a lawyer. Jill will get a lawyer. Or Darlene will get a lawyer. Or Susan or Samantha or whoever the fuck her name is. She'll. <laughs> 
she'll probably get a lawyer and go and they'll go with some quote designer psych defense Mm -hmm. like darlene's just as guilty but gary actually killed somebody yeah and kevin's like she'll sell him out for sure right she'll probably walk and he'll do 25 to life so then benson and stabler have darlene in the interrogation room and she's gushing over her husband saying he would kill for her and how it was like such an aphrodisiac or whatever she's like he rescued me he saved my life and benson's like who did he rescue you from and she goes the men and she meant like all the men everywhere and it was like calm down pixie cut you're chill <laughs> like benson's like Mm-mm. this is how you do it <laughs> this is how you do, do it, it. <laughs> 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 so she told gary that like every fucking dude wants me and it made him wild and she goes on about how brave and strong he is and then she does what i saw as the perp equivalent of a wisconsin goodbye she just like well i'm gonna take off so (laughs) i'm gonna put my hand on the doorknob for 45 minutes and then give everybody an extra hug They're like, um, you're going to jail. And she's like, no, but the inmates and the guards, what will they do to me? Then she grabs Stabler's hand and is like stroking it like a rabbit's foot. (laughs) And she does this dog head tilt at first. She goes, you'll protect me. And then she does it more. Won't you? (laughs) Like an unnatural amount. Till her neck snaps. Yeah. And Stabler won't make eye contact with her. And it fades to black and says executive producer Dick Wolf. And then I laid awake thinking about a file with his last name first and first name last. And I laughed to myself about Wolf Dick. (laughs) (laughs) Wolf comma Dick. Wolf Dick. And then I thought for a while about what we could use Wolf Dick for. Not like in a gross like real way, like in our (laughs) podcast way. (laughs) in a gross weird way not like oh no wolves are gonna go extinct because we found out what their dicks are for or whatever that we (laughs) what (laughs) no because you know how like animals get endangered because people use like their ivory and their fucking like seal dicks and whatever i don't know what people do i don't know what people do with animal dicks i don't do anything with them (laughs) you know i don't don't know why you're explaining yourself so fucking hard i I feel like i'm explaining it too hard (laughs) oh my god anyway that's (sighs) it let's do this chaser fuck all right get it so this episode wasn't necessarily based on a specific case but i found something fucked is it gonna blow my freaking i think it will and i don't think you're gonna know about it oh i'm excited this chaser is about douglas daniel clark and carol bundy a.k.a. the Sunset Strip Killers. You think she's related to Ted? No, but I thought about that a lot because I referred to her like by her last name sometimes. And I was like, I can't because I was getting confused and picturing fucking Zac Efron and shit. (laughs) So Carol Bundy was born in 1943 and raised in L.A. By all accounts, she had a fucking terrible childhood. She was raised by abusive alcoholic parents. And when Carol was 14, her mom died of a heart attack. That same night... Her dad told her that she had to, quote, take over for her mother and started regularly raping her. No. Are you fucking kidding me? Dad shit like that? Oh, fuck. I know. It's the kind of shit. Some of these chasers and stuff, you just make you want to call your parents and be like, thanks for like, like nobody's perfect, you know? Right. But it's pretty fine. But like some people are awful. Yes. Like it, it was pretty all right. I was loved. So. After her dad remarried, a year later, Carol was sent around to different foster homes. His wife died. He sexually abused his daughter. 
and then a year later got married again and then and like threw her away threw her away yeah at 17 she married a 56 year old dude hot i didn't read a whole lot about that but that was just like one little blip that i was like was he rich or anything no like she had she was she had a lot of issues you're not gonna feel bad for her in a little while but like her backstory is pretty fucked so in 1970 she married her second husband and after nine years of physical abuse she moved into a woman's shelter Mm -hmm. fast forward to 1979 Carol moves into an apartment complex where she fell for Jack Murray. He was the building manager slash local country singer slash married guy. And they began an affair. Nearly a year into it, he still wouldn't get divorced. So Carol tried to bribe his wife to leave, offering her 1500 bucks. And his wife was like, Jack, what the fuck? So Jack was all pissed off at Carol. So they were like on the rocks a little bit. On December 28th, 1979, around that same time, she went out to Little Nashville, which was the bar where Jack performed, and she went there a lot to watch him sing country music. There she met Doug Clark. She immediately fell in love, and she's like, fuck you, Jack, I'm with Doug now. All right. Doug Clark. It's always been Doug, Jack. (laughs) Doug Clark was born March 10th, 1948, and grew up in a military family. So he lived all over the world. As a teen, Doug would record sex with girls on a tape recorder that he kept hidden under his bed and then later play them for his friends because he was in a Porky's movie or some shit. In 1967, Doug joined the Air Force. He was later discharged and just kind of bummed around the country for the next decade or so doing odd jobs like mechanic work and whatever. Uh He eventually made his way to Southern California. This is where he met Carol. At Little Nashville. Little Nashville. So a lot of experts that have looked back at the two of these people accused him of being the mastermind and Carol being an easy target for Mm -hmm. him. Easy to control. She wanted to please. She was an abused woman, child, Mm -hmm. woman, like super fucked up. And he could read it right away. Mm -hmm. So they got together. Things moved really quickly. They rented an apartment in Burbank and slowly he let her in on his fetishes And Carol was into it. Mm -hmm. So eventually she shared in some of his fantasies. Like he would bring home women for threesomes, you know, like average stuff like that. But then eventually he brought home an 11-year-old neighbor girl. Mm -mm. Yeah. And she participated. April 24th, 1980. Carol buys two 25 caliber Raven pistols for herself and Doug. And I read that she bought them at a porn shop in Van Nuys. And I'm like, porn shop that sells guns? Anyway. I'm, I mean, I'm not like, are you surprised at all? Like, this is I America. Mean, are you surprised? I guess not in America. <laughs> There's got to be a fucking porn shop that sells guns. There has I to know, be. but that, like Florida, not like Van Nuys outside of L.A. and California. Yeah, like, I don't know. I don't that know. is kind of weird. Anyway, June 12th, 1980, the LAPD gets a call from a highway worker. Two young girls were found under some brush on the roadway, both <gasps> shot in the head and dumped there. They were runaway stepsisters, 16-year-old Cindy Chandler and 15-year-old Gina Morano. They had also been sexually assaulted. (sighs) Two days later, Doug told Carol he had killed the two runaways. He said that he liked it. This guy's a complete narcissist, by the way. And so Carol was like, I don't believe you. So she called the police to see if he was telling the truth. She legit calls LAPD and she's like, hey, my boyfriend's bragging about committing these murders. Can you confirm these details for me? And they're like, sorry, ma'am, we can't. So she hangs up and probably shrugs and like moves on. I don't know. The conversation was over. They knew that they had this call, 
But like nobody got any details, called her back, nothing. Why would they not? I don't know. Carol then began joining Doug to go out to kill. June 20th, Carol helps Doug kill a sex worker. And it turns out to be a sexual thrill for the both of them. Mm -hmm. The mindset here is super fucked up. At one point, Carol told Doug to make the murders look more progressively gruesome as they went on so that the police would be looking for a psycho and, quote, not someone sane like you. I have not heard this and I'm surprised that I haven't heard this before. I know. I'd never heard it either. On June 23rd, 911 dispatchers receive a call about gunshots in Burbank. A woman was found lying in a gutter, shot in the head. Through fingerprints, she was ID'd as Karen Jones, who was doing sex work, and she was from Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Three hours later, an employee at a nearby restaurant finds a naked, decapitated body of a woman (gasps) by the dumpster. Police searched for the head and couldn't find it anywhere. Oh, my God. Fingerprints ID'd her as Exy Wilson, another sex worker from Arkansas. The two women were connected. Apparently, they'd come to L.A. together two days prior. Mm-hmm. So on June 27th, five days later, not far from where Exy Wilson's body was found, a dude finds a small pine box inside, <gasps> no. wrapped in a pink shirt with the words daddy's girl, <gasps> was Exy Wilson's frozen head. No, what? The lab found seminal fluid on the throat <gasps> and mouth. Necrophilia. <gasps> Exy's head had a 25 caliber bullet in it from the same gun. Mm. So the bullets made them connect it to the stepsisters because they hadn't connected that. Yeah. But they're like, oh, this is the same fucking, these bullets are from the same gun. So all four of these murders are connected. Mm -hmm. On June 30th, another body was found decomposing in the trash. She would be ID'd as Marnette Comer, a 17-year-old runaway from Sacramento. She'd been dead for at least three weeks. Oh my God. They had found two 25 caliber bullets and she was last seen alive wearing a pink daddy's girl t-shirt. Oh no. Oh. So now the death count of these connected bodies is at 5. August 3rd, Carol calls up Jack, our country singing adulterous apartment building manager, okay? Oh yeah. And she kind of spills a lot about what's been going on with her mm-hmm. and Doug, and she says that she needs his help. This so, is like really only a few weeks after they met, right? I mean, they weren't together for very um, or like were they? they had I mean, together for like, well, no, they had met in December of 1979, and this is the summer of 1980. So they'd been together for like six months. And they were just like killing people. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, she fills him in a little too much about what's going on and says that she needs his help because she's afraid that Doug could kill her. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I want to meet up with you. Like, will you meet up with me and help me? Yeah. Um. So they got to, they met up in his van. August 9th, Jack's found dead in his van, decapitated, no head to be found, but they did find a 25 caliber shell casing in the van, and he had also been stabbed nine times. What the fuck? Witnesses point the cops to Carol because she was an ex, he owed her money, like people knew her, like she had been with him for like a year. Mm -hmm. The cops picked up Carol to question her, and Doug's like, I'm gonna come too for support. Like, they didn't have a radar on Doug at this point at all. She tells the cops that the day that Jack died, she was with Doug all day. And Doug said the same thing. Yeah. On August 11th, 1980, Doug calls Van Nuys police and completely turns on Carol. (gasps) He tells them that she actually left at like nine that night and was gone all night. So 
Oh my God, why? He was caught off guard sitting with the cops. So he backed her up. Yeah. And then he was probably like, I could pin this all on Carol. Yeah. With that, it didn't take much for Carol to start confessing shit. She says that she lured Jack to have sex in the van and killed him because he knew too much. And she took his head so that the cops wouldn't get the bullets, but she forgot about the shell casings that were left behind. Right. Then she just starts confessing to everything. This is a quote from her confession. I listened to a bunch of audio of her police interviews. She says, it's fun to kill people. And if I was allowed to run loose, I would probably do it again. I have to say, I know it's going to sound sick. It's going to sound psycho. And I don't really think I'm that psycho, but it's kind of fun, like riding a roller coaster. Not the killing, like the watching them die, because we didn't kill them in any way that they would suffer. Okay. She turns over clothes and claims that they're from some of the victims. And she also turned over photos of Doug and the 11-year-old neighbor girl, because when that shit happened... Carol took photos. Oh, my God. So Doug then gets arrested on child molestation charges. And while he's being held, police search for evidence to connect Doug to the murders. So now both are being questioned separately. So Carol goes on to say, I want to make this perfectly clear because Doug didn't do Jack. I did Jack. That he was no way involved with Jack Murray's things. So hang him on his own stuff. Don't hang him on mine. Mm -hmm. An investigator said Carol talking about these gruesome murders was like she was talking about a recipe or something. Yeah. Zero emotion. Just like, well, I really like killing people. <laughs> like, that's what she, I'm not even making a joke of it. That's what she yeah. fucking sounded like. Yeah. Police then asked Carol what she did with Jack Marie's head. And she told them after she killed Jack, she went back to the apartment and she walks in and tells Doug, she's like, hey, I brought Jack home with me. And he gets pissed right away. And he's like, I'm not into that. And she's like, <laughs> gotcha. And she pulls out a black trash bag with Jack's head in it and then doug laughs and he's like good one like th this is true this is what they did oh, what the fuck? and they just drive out and they find trash that's scheduled for pickup the next mm -hmm. morning and they just threw it in there to be you know hauled away right off the bat mm. oh my god they're sick 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 yeah. sick both of them meanwhile the cops are trying to get solid evidence against doug so he admits to interrogators that he helped Carol dispose of Murray's head, but that he had nothing to do with the murders. Mm -hmm. He was saying that all of those prior murders that she was saying were her and Doug were actually Carol and Jack. Oh. So the both of the guns are in Carol's name, and she refers to them as the toys. Ew. But the cops couldn't find the guns anywhere. So at this point, there's no physical evidence against Doug. August 13th, Carol's arraigned for the murder of Jack Murray and held without bail. Carol then talks about Gina Morano and Cindy Chandler, the stepsisters that Doug killed. Yeah, the runaways, um, right? Yeah. Yeah, to give the cops what they need. She says that after he shot them, he kept their bodies. This is gross. He kept their bodies in a storage garage and continued to rape them. <gasps> no. Ap after a few days, he dumped the bodies. Police go and search the storage unit and they found a bloody shoe print matching Doug's, along with remnants where a pool of blood had been on the concrete floor, along with drag marks. Mm. So they were able to search Doug's car and found bullet holes in the seats and dried blood. Ugh. Carol then tells them about Karen Jones and Exie Wilson. That night that they were found dead, Doug talked to both of the women on Sunset and got mad at something that Karen had apparently said. Mm -hmm. So he picks up Exie kills her, decapitates her, and goes back to find Karen and kills her. Then Jesus. he brought Exie's head home. Carol 
also tells police that she would put makeup on Exy's face every morning for Doug. Oh my God. Mm. What the fucking shit? Remember, Exy's head was found frozen five days later with seminal fluid on the neck and mouth. Yeah. Um, I know. But yeah, Carol was like doing her makeup in the mornings. Oh my God. Carol said that she didn't know about Marnette Comer, the fifth Vic, but did say that she had helped him kill another sex worker and dump the body. Yeah. So on August 15th, a co-worker of Doug's finds the guns hidden behind some loose brick at the factory where he worked, and he turned those into police. Hmm. So now they do the test to match the guns to the murders. So they've got all the evidence they need. They've got mm-hmm. a mountain of physical evidence. Along with the child molestation charge that Doug was going to get for the 11-year-old neighbor girl, he's charged with five counts of first-degree murder. On August 26th, a worker inspecting the water tower in Antelope Valley found skeletal remains in some <gasps> brush. It had a 25 caliber bullet in the skull that matched the guns. Unfortunately, they could not identify the remains. But hmm. Doug still gets that added to the charge. Yeah. This must have been the body that Carol was talking about that, like she had helped with, but it wasn't any of the previous bodies they had found. Mm -hmm. So Doug being a narcissist, he acted in his own defense and tried to blame Carol for everything. Yeah, of course. And yeah, I mean, there are some other circumstances. I'll tell you about them later. Hang on. Um, And on January 28th, 1983, Doug Clark is convicted on six counts of first degree murder with special circumstances, plus one count each attempted murder, mayhem and mutilating human remains. And Mm. he gets the death penalty. Okay, good. Two months later, a seventh unidentified body is found. Carol is charged with two counts of first-degree murder for the unidentified seventh victim and Jack Murray. She tried to plead guilty by reason of insanity, but she couldn't back it up enough to actually go with that plea. Yeah. So then she signs a plea agreement, which would save her from the death penalty. Mm -hmm. On May 2nd, 1983, she receives 52 years to life. That was... One day before my first birthday. Oh, my fucking God. (laughs) When I read 1983, I'm like, how is Gabe going to connect this to herself? (laughs) Do I connect dates to myself a lot? Anything that's anywhere near your birthday, you're like, my birthday. (laughs) On December 9th, 2003, Carol Bundy died of heart failure in prison. Doug Clark is still sitting on death row at 73 years old, 38 years after his conviction. Why hasn't he gotten... I knew you were going to ask that. I don't, and yeah. I think I would venture a guess that he has spent all of this time appealing. Mm-hmm. His trial was super fucked up because... Okay, so he ended up defending himself because he fired his first lawyer who was... And I assume it was a public defender. Mm-hmm. But this lawyer was literally drunk the whole time that he was defending him. Yeah. And he would fall asleep during cross-examination. Then when Clark asked to defend himself, he was denied co-counsel, advisory counsel, or the help of a law clerk. Like, the judge literally said, sorry, you got to go it alone, which... Mm isn't okay and thankfully it wasn't like they didn't he's never been able to get it completely thrown out which could be a possibility he wasn't given proper representation and wasn't given proper opportunity to represent himself but the guy and people people who do terrible things can get so good off in that stuff because it's the law you know like not being read their Miranda rights or whatever and stuff you know so he's still on death row but yeah he's been in prison for almost 40 years Hmm. like waiting to be killed he's 73 fucking kill him But anyway, 
I don't even like really believe in the death penalty. I don't know. I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> He's just a disgusting, awful, awful person. So. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. That is the Sunset Strip Killers. Never heard of them. All right. Well, that's fucking it. Yeah, dude. Next week, we've got season two, episode 18, Manhunt. The details of a kidnapping are similar to a series of rapes and murders that may link the crime to a serial killer. Oh, shit. Sounds like it's going to be good. Yeah. Follow us on all social media at SVU Pod. Join our Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad. Go to our website. SVUPod.com. SVUPod at gmail.com. That's our email. Mm-hmm. Email us. Oh, my God. Yeah. If you have, like, thoughts, questions... Anything that you want us to talk about. So after the season wraps up in just a few episodes, we're going to be doing a season two wrap up TNG Q&A like we did after season one. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, if there's anything you guys want to bring up to us, ask us about. We have a couple questions already that I'm going to save for that episode. But, yeah, start sending them in. So you can email us. You can DM us. Fucking you can find us. As per usual, send in any ghost stories that you have. Uh, I have one of those, too. Why haven't you told me? Because I like to read it to you when we're recording. Oh, okay. So yeah, we'll do that too. We can talk about the season. We can talk about whatever. Mm-hmm. Hashtag little bit loud. We've got a new little bit loud podcast. It's one that we've been following for a while. It's called The Bottom Bible. Two self-described bottoms discussing sex, relationships, pop culture, current events, and everything in between. It's Vanessa and Katie, and they have this amazing open dialogue. I love sexually open women, right? Yeah. Um, and men too, but like we're expected to be like, mm, you know, yeah. so hashtag little bit loud. We'll shout out your podcast and people can find you when they search the hashtag. Do, 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 little bit loud. All right. All right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Laugh into your tube. Laugh into your water tube. Um, <laughs> do that do that in the tube go <laughs> whoa crack a case <laughs> go ahead and just crack it wide open I'm proud of you girls fucking friends to the end I die hard my friend group I'm the fucking Phoebe you know I don't know <laughs> Oh, like, so mad that like, she couldn't. It's like the same thing that we repost every year where the guy opens the door really hard. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>